going on, everyone? Welcome into the Yacht Show. Today is Wednesday, August 17th, year 2022. It's been a while since we've been on these airwaves, so we have a lot to talk about today. Major League Baseball, have some Cubs talk, cutting loose a longtime veteran outfielder and then bringing one in. Talk about the Cubs Field of Dreams game. I was at Tropicana Field last Friday, so I'll be giving my review on the Trop and the Orioles, who are coming in hot in that AL wildcard race. One of Major League Baseball's biggest stars has tested positive for PEDs. We talk a little Joey Gallo, give an overall standings update. A major arm in the National League is undergoing season-ending elbow surgery. The Rangers are cleaning house and management. We're going to talk about the Dodgers. They are the first team to 80 wins. Can they beat the 2001 Mariners record? A couple of baseball's top prospects have been called up. Oakland has released their highest paid player. And there's a new top 30 prospect rankings per team and a top 100. So we're going to go over the Cubs, all of their new top 30 prospects. In the NFL, one of the Bears' brightest stars wants out of Chicago. Tom Brady is taking a leave of absence. We're going to be talking second-year quarterbacks. We're going to be reviewing the Bears' per- first preseason game, which was this past Saturday, and preview the upcoming one. Sorry, review Saturday's game, preview the upcoming game tomorrow. And one of the league's youngest and brightest safeties has earned himself a new contract extension. In the NBA, we have lost one of the greatest legends in basketball, and his number has been retired league-wide. And Kevin Durant has found himself in the news again. We have Spartan talk and news of Cohen Carr. And we have college football. The preseason top 25 has been released by ESPN. College football is back, folks. We're going to go through that top 25. And we will end it. They top 10 this week. It's actually a top 14. I'm ranking all 14 stadiums I've been to in my life in relations to reviewing Tropicana Field. This one's going to be a whole lot of fun. Stay tuned. The Ox Show starts right now. Without further ado, let's jump right into things. Let's talk some Cubs. Jason Hayward has been cut loose by the organization, or at least he will be after this season. He's still owed over $22 million on his contract for the year of 2023, which the Cubs will pay in full. I like this move for the organization. I really do. I think it gives an opportunity and it paves way for a lot of these young outfielders in our organization to earn some opportunity, earn some playing time. You know, we're already seeing guys like Nelson Velasquez up this year. You know, the cutting of Hayward definitely helps him out. I mean, Seiya Suzuki's the everyday right fielder. So that kind of pencils off one spot. And if Ian Happ is still around next year, you know, that puts him in left. So all that's open is center field. And Hayward wasn't really going to see much time anyways. And I think they'd rather give those extra starts and extra opportunities to guys of the nature of Nelson Velasquez and others. Uh, You know, Alexander Canario is absolutely killing it in double A right now. And we're going to be talking more about Cubs prospects later on in the show. And... I mean, there's other guys, too. You know, we're talking Brennan Davis should hopefully be up at some point next season. Christopher Morales, you know, playing center field right now. While he's not the best defensive center fielder on the planet, you know, he's still roaming around out there. And there just needs to be more opportunity to be had. And, and cutting Jason Hayward loose kind of gives the Cubs, you know, it shows where the, their heads are at in the front office and where the direction is. And, I, and I'm, I'm a huge fan, for sure. Now, in a corresponding move... We talked about this man getting DFA'd on our last show, Franmil Reyes. I was thinking, oh, he's going to go to a contender. He might go to the Dodgers. He could go back to San Diego. Franmil Reyes is a Chicago Cub. Super pumped to see this signing. There's literally, this is a no-lose situation for the Cubs. I mean, he is mainly a DH. He can't really play anywhere on defense. But I was super pumped to see this. I was like, I'm all in on Franmil Reyes. Dude's an absolute monster. He can rake. I mean, we saw last night, if anyone watched the Cubs game last night, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon. Dude hit a home run to opposite field. He's got so much oppo power. I mean, just imagine when he starts pulling the ball more consistently. Hitting balls onto Waveland, hitting balls onto Wrigley Field. That'll be super cool to see. So, Framo's already putting together some pretty good um, games here for the Cubs. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I, I literally, there's nothing wrong with this signing at all. He's 27 years old, 6'5", 265. Perfect 5 or 6 hitter. On any team. Currently with the Cubs in 26 at-bats. Pulling up his stats. He's hitting 346 in 26 at-bats. He's slugging a .692 and his OPS is over 1,000. 
He's got two homers and five RBIs. The dude's just getting on base, which is like more of an interesting thing. He's obviously more of a slugger, more of a power header. But he's hitting for really good average so far, too, around 30 at-bats in as a Cubs. So I'm all in on the Fran Mo Reyes experiment. Now, the Cubs did play in the Field of Dreams game last week. It was last Thursday. So I figure we should probably you know, talk about that game a little. I was down in Florida, so I only got to watch probably about the second half of the game. But, I mean, just running through, Drew Smiley pitched incredible. He threw five scoreless innings and put the Cubs in a very good position to win this game. Now, from there, Michael Rucker came in and had a pretty rough inning of work in the sixth. But Brandon Hughes shut the door in the seventh and eighth, pitching two scoreless, and then Roan Wick notched the save in the ninth to give him the 4-2 victory. Offensively for the Cubs, Nick Madrigal, I'm telling you, man, I want to talk a lot about Nicky Two Strikes on this episode. He's really starting to come around, and I'm convinced he was hurt this entire time before getting brought back up again after being in Iowa for a while, recovering from that injury. Dude is putting together consistent multi-hit games. He was 3-for-5 in this game with an RBI. I'm just I'm all in. He's been hitting leadoff, which has been great. You know, it gives the Cubs a guy who can get on base consistently as a leadoff hitter. We looked at other guys who made an impact on offense. Uh, Wisdom, Patrick Wisdom went one for one for three. Uh, Suzuki went one for three with two walks, and he had an RBI. Saya finding his way on base per usual. Nico Horner, who has been an absolute dude this year, went one for two. Ian Happ went two for four with an RBI. Uh, Nelson Velasquez got himself a knock. P.J. Higgins got himself a knock. This is a, they're not, obviously, the Cubs are well under 500. They're on 20 games under. But they're a, they're not like last year's team when they were down this bad. No, this is, there are guys who are out there competing. And there's actual talent on the field right now. So, like, this team's watchable. Even against really good teams, this team is, I consider them somewhat watchable. Depending on who's on the mound in that specific game. And Drew Smiley threw the ball very well in this game. The bullpen is what kills me. And obviously, if you watched any bit of last night's 7-5 win in 11 against Washington, the bullpen gives me a heart attack every time I watch it. I'm telling you, man. It is struggling. But they find their way. And it's just interesting to me. Obviously, Brandon Hughes and Rowan Wick, I mean, say all you want about Rowan Wick. He's had a rough season. But he is, in my eyes, the best right-handed arm this bullpen has right now. And... This is him and Hughes, and I know, oh, they, they have to obviously regather in the offseason. They have to pick up veterans on one-year deals to flip again, and I know they're going to do that, but for this these next this next month and a half, those are two guys that you have to lean on very, very heavily. I mean, there's other guys out there. Uh, Sean Newcomb, his control's been a little off. Eric Ullman has not been very good. Uh, Mark Leiter's been all right. He got the save last night. Um, Steven Brault's back up. You got Kervin Castro. But no, at the end of the day, it's Hughes and it's Wick. Those are your dogs. Those are your horses out of the pen if you're the Cubs. So picking up the win in the Field of Dreams game, we'll go back and kind of look at the last week and a half of Cubs baseball. Um, they took, obviously, the win in the Field of Dreams. last. So dating back to last Monday, they won. They took two or three from Washington. Then Field of Dreams game was a win against Cincinnati. Got the day off Friday to travel back to Cincinnati. They won 7-2 on Saturday. And they lost the getaway day 8-5. to five. And currently they are in a three-game set with Washington. The rubber match is going on probably as we speak. As it's around noon o'clock set. Noon, noon o'clock. It is around noon central time, which is when today's game is going on. So they lost 5-4 to four on the opener Monday. And then they won 7-5 and 11 last night. After today, they travel to Baltimore tomorrow for a 2 o'clock game, which is a uh, filling in for a rainout. And then it is Milwaukee at home this entire weekend. 120 starts Friday through Sunday. And then they have a five-game series with St. Louis starting next Monday with a 7.05 on Monday night. Doubleheader on Tuesday, 7.05 on Wednesday. And then a 120 getaway day on Thursday. So it's been an all right week for the Cubs. Um, I'm going to try and do some math here. They're over 500. We'll take that. Uh, it's just all about being competitive down the stretch, and that's what this team's doing. So, we'll look up the lineup today. I don't believe Contreras is in the lineup. He is not. Uh, Jan Gomes will be doing the catching. It is McKinstry. Zach McKinstry's getting a nod to lead it off. No Madrigal in today's lineup. It's McKinstry, Horner, Suzuki, Hap, Reyes, 
Ortega, Wisdom, Gomes, Higgins. I find it really interesting they're letting Ortega play again because, once again, if you watched last night's game, he is probably one of the worst base runners I've ever watched in my life. He made a pretty poor decision in the 10th once Wilson Contreras hit a sack fly with the bases loaded. He tagged up from 2nd to 3rd, double play, obviously. So the run scored, but he basically canned the inning. And yet, they're rewarding that by letting him hit 6th and play center today. I don't quite understand that. And maybe I won't. I mean, I'm ho- hopefully he goes off today and it does very well at the plate and makes up for yesterday. I get we still won the game. But who knows, if he doesn't get thrown out, we could maybe score one or two more runs in that 10th inning and maybe not have to play the 11th. We don't have to bring Brandon Hughes in to pitch the 11th, who's already on short rest. His arm is going through it right now. Maybe we save Hughes. He gets a day. He gets to rest, and then he gets to come and throw today. Now, I doubt Brandon Hughes will throw in the game today because he had to throw in the game yesterday, already on short rest. So it'll be interesting to see. They need a lengthy outing out of Drew Smiley, at least six innings. Uh, and to add on to lengthy outings, I was very impressed with how Justin Steele threw the ball yesterday. Very, very impressed. He continues to impress me. He went, if the box score rolls up, which I don't think it's going to, he was able to get through six innings, which has been a huge thing with, for me with Justin Steele. He's got the stuff, man. It's always The stuff is always going to be there. It's just a matter of can he put together outings? Can he get quality starts? And he was in line for the win that last night. The Cubs were up 4-0, the bullpen came in and absolutely blew it. He went six innings, gave up five hits, one run, and it wasn't even earned. He punched out five. Then Eric Ullman comes in. He gives up a run. Rowan Wick gives up a, gives up two solo homers. And all of a sudden, the game's tied at uh, four. It's like the bullpen, an inning, and two, an inning and a third later, blows a winning start for Justin Steele. And that's not obviously his fault, and the bullpen's in a very fragile state right now. But it's good to see him getting six innings. That's the number I have for Justin Steele. Get six innings. If he can consistently get six innings of ball to put the Cubs in a position to win, he has a chance to be a very, very good starter in this winning rotation down the line in a few years. I'm really hoping... If the Cubs can get two absolute dogs at the top of the rotation, Justin Steele could be a very good number three. If not, he's an elite number four in a rotation. I set high standards for pitching. I know you're probably thinking, oh, Justin Steele, number four? My standards are through the roof with pitching. If you're trying to win a World Series, you need to have two number ones in your rotation. Maybe even three. But more realistically, you need to have two number ones and a very good number two. In my opinion, Justin Steele, in his career, he's either a very average to below average number two or a very very good number three that's how i see it with justin Steele. plain and simple i think he could do it but if he can somehow be a number four on a championship team that means you have three really 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 good starters in front of him so cubs win last night trying to win the rubber match today in washington with Drew Smiley on the mound, who's been throwing the ball very, very well lately. Now, let's talk a little about the Trop. Tropicana Field in uh, St. Petersburg. Dude, let me tell you, anyone who says that the Coliseum is worse than the Trop has never been to both of them. The Coliseum, I was not a fan of when I went. And let me tell you, Tropicana, it is, obviously it's not the best field in the majors. It's not in the top half. But dude, it was cool. So unique. We're talking, I got to pet a stingray in the outfield, which I can't believe I didn't know that that wasn't a thing. The Just the dome overall makes it super unique in my eyes. Like at the indoor stadium and the catwalk. And I saw it twice. There were two homers hit off the, uh, hit off the catwalk, Cedric Mullins and Adley Rutschman. I just, the environment was just, I mean, there wasn't a lot of people there. And I mean, for obvious reasons, we know Tampa doesn't pull a big crowd. But I don't know, it just felt cool. Like, in my eyes, at least from where I've been, and I've heard, oh, it's a battle for the worst stadium between Tropicana and the Coliseum. Dude, I would rather go back to the Trop ten times before I go back to the Coliseum once. That's how strongly I feel against the Coliseum, and how strong I feel for the Trop. Trop was cool. I had no problems with it. There's a lot of things to do. There was, like I said, the cool area to pet the Rays. Everyone was just super friendly and nice. The environment was cool. I, I just enjoy, I'm saying cool and dude a lot, but yeah, I mean, that's that was the vibe. It was chill. And I, yeah, I was just a really big fan of Tropicana. Maybe it's because I went in with such low expectations because everyone was telling me, oh, 
it's not going to be good. Like, you're going to one of the worst stadiums in the league. I'm not saying it's one of the best, but it is not the worst. No chance. And I, my honest opinion, and I don't mean to offend anyone if I say this, with the National Stadium, I, I've i never been to Washington. Maybe I need to go to that stadium. I'd rather go to the Trap before I'd go there. So I wouldn't even put it at number two worst. I just think it's because there's so many new amazing stadiums, or just in general, every stadium has its thing. I don't think the Trop is the worst by any stretch of the imagination. And I got really cool seats. So, it was a good game. Uh, not really, but Baltimore won. I got to see a position player pitch. That was what made the game good. That was fun. I've always wanted to see that. And in that game, Baltimore actually took sole possession of the third wildcard spot for the first time all season. So, now that brings us to the question, let's take a look at the standings over Major League Baseball. So, currently in the NL, the Cardinals are controlling the NL Central. They have a two-game lead on the Brewers who are in second. Over in the NL East, the Mets are three and a half up on the Braves, who I think are the NL's two very best teams. In the West, the Dodgers are 17 up on the Padres. Dodgers are the first team to 80 wins, and you heard this in the intro, so it begs the question, they need to go 36-11 and 11 in their next 47 games to beat the 2001 Mariner record of 115 wins in a season. Do they do it? All right, let's look at the schedule. That's the only way I'm able to determine this. Do the Dodgers have it in their schedule? So they just actually lost a game to Milwaukee last night, and they have two more against Milwaukee. Milwaukee's a solid team. I definitely think, I mean, tonight's Gonsolin, who is 14-1 on the year against Eric Lauer, and tomorrow it's Heaney and Burns. Burns may cause them some trouble. I think they lose another game to Milwaukee. I think they lose to Burns or Lauer. They're going to lose to one of them. So that means, all right, they're going to win one and lose one. They need to go 35-10. and 10. Miami at home, no problem. Milwaukee at home. Eh, maybe they lose one, but other than that, I think they win that series. Miami on the road, no problem. New York on the road is going to be tough. That is going to be a tough series for this team. And I know I'm probably docking them too much, but when you play good teams, you're naturally just going to lose. It happens. They have four against New York. My apologies, that's even worse. Three at home against San Diego. Three at home against San Francisco. Three on the road against San Diego. Three on the road. A whole lot of division games here. Their month of September is basically all division games. Except the St. Louis series, which will also be tough. Because St. Louis is playing very good baseball right now. On the road, Arizona. On the road, San Francisco. Five-game series with the, the Diamondbacks, which is huge. That'll help them a lot. Three with St. Louis. Four at San Diego. And then they finish their season with six home games in a row against the Rockies. It's doable. It's totally doable for this team. You're telling me they can only lose 11? It's doable. They got a lot of Miami, they got a lot of Arizona, and they got some Colorado sprinkled in there. It's totally possible. You just don't know. And the thing with the Dodgers is they're injury beaten right now. Their pitching staff has been worked. I mean, we're talking no Bueller, and we're going to talk Walker Bueller here in a minute. I don't believe Kershaw's on their active roster. I could be totally wrong. He's not. I mean... And that's the best part for them is they still have so much young pitching prospects at that AAA level where they can call guys up like Ryan Pepio, who started last night. Kind of struggled a little, but he's still a guy who can go out there and pitch some competitive baseball for a team that's trying to win a lot of games. They just need to get healthy. I mean, we look at guys who aren't on the roster right now. You know, obviously no Walker Buehler. Bruce Gratoro's not there. Victor Gonzalez isn't healthy. No Daniel Hudson. No Clayton Kershaw. Dustin May is still hurt. Like Trinan's not on the active roster. Craig Kimbrell is their closer, but man, the dude has been struggling beyond belief. So that staff, that pitching staff just needs to get healthy. And if they can get healthy during this stretch, I totally think it's possible. I don't think they end up doing it because it's baseball. And despite the fact that they have some really good series in this stretch, they play San Diego multiple times. They play Milwaukee multiple times. San Francisco is not a slouch team. I definitely think they can they can sweep San Francisco, but San Francisco is bound to take a game there. That St. Louis series, even though it's at home, it's going to be tough. Like it's not like oh they're playing. They have a lot of Miami in here, which helps. But it's oh they're playing the Rockies and the Diamondbacks and I don't know who else. You know, like it's competitive. They're going to have to work for it. I don't think they're going to get it, but at the same time, would I be surprised? Absolutely not. This team is very very good. So now you're going to beg the question, well, why do you continue to say that the Braves and the Mets are the two best teams in the National League, and why are those your two teams that could win the pennant? The Dodgers are Dodgers. The Dodgers just have too much injuries, too many injuries. They're just not healthy. 
If they can all get healthy by the playoffs, great, but they're they're out Walker Wheeler for the rest of the season. That kills, man. He's got so much playoff pedigree, a little biased because he's my favorite player. So much playoff pedigree, and that's a dog that you need riding into the playoffs, and you don't have him. Who knows what's going on with Clayton Kershaw, but even when he gets healthy, their bullpen, Craig Kimbrell can't close games right now. And Blake Trinan's probably your next best bet to be the closer, and he not he's not even healthy. So you're telling me right now, guys that can start in the playoffs, Tony Gonsolin, who's been great this year, but he's never really been a full-time playoff starter. Tyler Anderson, who's had an amazing bounce back here, but who knows what he'll be like in the playoffs. And then on the current active roster, I got Julio Urias, who's awesome. So, like, no problem there. That's a dude. But then other starters are Ryan Pepio, who won't make the playoff roster just because... Oh, they don't want to. They don't want Pepio on the roster. He's a really good pitcher. I think one day he deserves a chance to, but once everyone gets healthy, there's just no room for him. Andrew Heaney. I mean, I don't know, dude. They just don't have the names right now, for, in my opinion, in the rotation. And the Mets and, and Braves are just playing a dominant brand of baseball that I think either one of them are worthy of winning this pennant. So that's where things sit, at least in that whole situation. Um, American League standings: the Yankees who are sliding. They are 72 and 45. They're only 9 only 9. They're 9 games up in the Rays. They were once like 15. Uh Cleveland in first in the Central. They have a one game lead on both the Twins and the White Sox. White Sox are coming in hot per expected around this time due to their scheduling. And in the West, the Astros have an 11 game lead on Seattle. To the wild card. In the NL, obviously Dodgers, Mets and Cardinals have their division leads. Atlanta has wild card spot number 1 by 7 and a half games. Philadelphia is at the second wild card spot, 14 games over 500, up a game and a half. And San Diego currently holds the third wild card spot, a game up of Milwaukee. I think this is going to hold the form. I think Milwaukee is going to be the, the odd man out in this group. Um, yeah, it's basically the, the four teams for three wild card spots is Atlanta, Philadelphia, San Diego, Milwaukee. Atlanta's in. If Philadelphia can slide, you know, they're, they're a streaky team. They proved that that can happen. I just, Rob Thompson, the interim manager, man, I just like what he's doing. And I, I'm really hoping that Bryce Harper can find his way back soon. That would be huge. That's everything if they can get Bryce Harper back. I could see it holding to form. I definitely think San Diego's in. If San Diego's out, that's crazy. If the Padres don't make the playoffs, that's nuts. But we just learned they're losing. They've lost Fernando Tatis Jr. for the whole year, testing positive for performance-enhancing drugs, claiming to have trying to protect him or prevent or help him heal from ringworm, which terrible PR on, on Tatis's part. I don't think anyone bought that for a minute. I know I didn't. Obviously, dude's been hurt all year. He wants to get back for to his team down the down the pennant race as quickly as possible. What can help me heal from my wrist injury? Oh, probably something I shouldn't be taking. I mean, come on, man. What are we doing? And like the the Padre Clubhouse reaction was everything. I I saw an interview with Mike Clevenger. He's like just disappointed like he needs to grow up like we're talking obviously broke his wrist on a motorcycle accident and now this happens and Padre fans this is year two of 14 of that mega contract that you guys gave him I think he's talented enough that that contract's gonna be worth it he just needs to I agree with Clevenger he needs to grow up he needs to mature a little guys who sign those big of contracts are expected to not only be the example on the field, but off the field. And they're expected to be the most mature guys in the room because they know how much of that organizational trust and just overall leadership and, you know, they're, they're entrusting you. They're giving you a lot of money to play ball. You're expected to be responsible and make those right decisions. That's not what Tatis is doing right now. So I guess if the Padres missed the playoffs, that's kind of on him. But I still think that roster is talented enough to make the playoffs. Getting Soto and Bell was everything for them. And they did that. Now they're going to have to throw some sort of shortstop platoon of Cronenworth and Hassan Kim. But I still think that can get by. I still think that could score them a spot in the wild card. Straight up. I really think that can happen. So I think it holds to form, but nothing surprises me anymore. Uh, American League wild card. We obviously talk Houston, New York, and Cleveland as the division leaders. And then the three current wild card spots. Seattle holds the top spot by a game and a half. Tampa Bay is in the second spot by a game. And Toronto Holds the third spot by half a game over Baltimore, who is slightly out. And then the Twins and the White Sox are both each a game out, similar to how they are in the division. This is a little more open. There's six possible teams to make the wild card here, whereas in the NL it's four. I think right now Seattle's in. They're the team that I'm putting in, as well as Toronto. 
So for that last spot, it is Tampa Bay, Baltimore, Minnesota, and Chicago. Two NL or NL, two East teams and two Central teams. Who do I think takes it? I'm going to give it to Minnesota. But who knows? I mean, Cleveland, as of right now, this were to hold with the division leaders. I think Minnesota is going to end up winning that division. So maybe it's Cleveland. It's it's Minnesota slash Cleveland winning the division. Whoever doesn't win the division takes the third wildcard spot. I think Tampa misses. I think the White Sox miss. And sadly, it would be really cool for Baltimore to make the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to have enough in the end of the day. I want them to make the playoffs. I want Baltimore to have that third wildcard spot. But if I'm taking, if I'm picking realistically, I'm taking Seattle, I'm taking Toronto, and I'm taking Minnesota slash Cleveland. Whoever doesn't win the division is going to get that third spot. So, we talk Walker Bueller, but I guess we can a little more. Season-ending elbow surgery sucks. He's going under surgery on the 23rd next week. Now they're saying he might need Tommy John all of a sudden. I really hope that's not the case. I mean, for those of you who know me or have been listening to the show, Walker Bueller is my favorite pitcher in the league. He's my favorite player overall. He has been for quite a while. And I really was looking forward to seeing him come back and pitch this season. Sadly, that won't happen. But now I'm really hoping if he might need Tommy John, he might not pitch at all next season either, which would be very, very tough. So prayers up to Walker. Hope he gets better soon. And I really hope he doesn't need Tommy John because that would be brutal. Um, Shea Langoliers and Brett Beatty have both been called up, two of the league's top prospects. Langoliers made his debut last night in Texas against the Rangers. He, in his very first at-bat, in the very first pitch he saw, roped a double to left. So congrats to Shane, Shea. Other than that, he's one for four, three punch-outs in his other at-bats. Welcome to the show, man. That's going to happen. That's baseball. And then Brett Beatty got called up yesterday. I do not believe he appeared in that game for the Mets. I could be totally wrong, but I feel like we would have seen something about that. He did not. So I think he's starting today. Mets, 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 Mets. Their game's at 620 tonight, so I don't think the line's been released. I would expect to see Brett Beatty starting tonight. Scherzer on the mound for the Mets in a huge game against Atlanta. Congrats to those two guys. That's super awesome. Michael Harris, speaking of awesome, the guy who is leading the clubhouse, Money Mike, is leading the clubhouse in the Rookie of the Year race. He has earned himself a new extension, eight years, $72 million. An absolute steal for the Braves, getting their center fielder of the future and rookie of the year for a $9 million per year average annual value. I don't know how the Braves are able to do this, man. They have, I saw a tweet, they they keeping their core together throughout like 2030. It's just absolute, yeah. So Austin Riley has been extended through 2032, Matt Olson through 2030, Michael Harris through 2030, Acuna through 2028, uh, Vaughn Grissom, who got called up last week, who's been an absolute dog for them, 2028, Ozzie Albies, 2027. Spencer Strider and William Contreras are also 2027, Kyle Wright 2026, and Max Freed 2024. So I guess Max Freed's the next guy to get his money. That's nuts. All that young talent is still there for the Braves and is going to be there for the next somewhat seven, eight years. The best, Arguably the best front office in baseball in terms of being able to get the talent and lock it up. A lot of front offices, especially the Cubs, need to take notes on that, seriously. The A's have released Elvis Andrews. He is the highest paid Oakland A at around $7 million per season. I just think they're letting all the young guys come through. But Alvis should find a spot, maybe off the bench on a contender. If not, I know someone will snag him. He's just well-credited enough. Obviously, the offense has never really been there for Andrews, except for a few years in his career. But as mainly known, he's just an overall veteran for his leadership and is a very good defensive presence. So I'm, I'm expecting him to get picked up sometime within this week. And then lastly, the Rangers are cleaning house. They have fired both manager Chris Woodward, and as of like an hour ago, they fired their top and well-respected executive John Daniels, making GM Chris Young the new director of, of operations over there in Texas. So they're doing a deep cleaning of this organization, and the Rangers, I think, are really going to go full rebuild outside of building around Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. Now that that's all out of the way, Let's talk the new top 30 Cubs prospects, man. was super juiced to see this come out last night. So let's just start from the bottom. Let's start at 30. So Drew Gray's at 30. He's been on the top 30 before. Cole Franklin's at 29. Ryan Jensen at 28. Luke Little at 27. The 6'8 left-handed reliever who won pitcher of the month last month in the minor league organization. He's an absolute beast. Luis Devers at 26, another right-handed pitcher who won pitcher of the month back in June. Chase Strump, the former UCLA infielder at 25. Third round pick this past year, Christopher Paciola, who's the shortstop committed to UCLA. 
He's at 24. Nazir Mule, the flamethrowing high schooler, who was our third-round pick, or fourth-round pick, is at 23. Porter Hodge, who's putting together a very nice season in the minors, right-handed pitcher, he's at 22. Matt Mervis, this is like the prospect of the year, in my eyes, outside of Pete Cor Armstrong, 24-year-old first baseman, who is absolutely raking this year across both levels. He has been in double A, or he's been in high A, double A, and triple A this year. He's hitting 305. And he's a total of how many home runs is that? 33? No, 24. 24 homers this year. With, with his age two, expect him to be in Chicago next season. Ed Howard at 20, the 2021st round picked. Daniel Palencia at 19. Johendrick Pinago at 18. Kevin Made is at number 17. Been a huge fan of his game this season and just overall. His bat continues to improve. He's hitting 247 across multiple levels as Made is now in South Bend. Miguel Amaya at 16, our new top-ranked catcher in the organization. I couldn't agree more with this. This Moises Ballesteros is at 15. The 18-year-old has been hitting very, very well this season in the minors. Caleb Killian is at 14. DJ Hers fills in at 13. Hayden Wesneski, the trade chip from the Yankees, is number 12. James Triantos has fallen to 11. Owen Casey at 10. I think, actually, move over Matt Mervis. Alexander Canario has been on an absolute tear lately that has moved him all the way up to number 9. Currently this year, he has hit 22 homers at the AA level. Get this man to Iowa ASAP. Seriously, he's been incredible. At number 8 is Jackson Ferris, who was the second-round pick this past year. Ben Brown, the trade chip we got for David Robertson from Philly. He's number 7. Christian Hernandez is at 6. Jordan Wicks is number 5. First round pick of the draft from just a couple months ago. Cade Horton is at four. Kevin Alcantara at three. Brennan Davis at two. And the new number one prospect in the Cubs organization. Well-deserved Pete Crow Armstrong. This is an insane farm system. I mean, if you guys know me, I've, I talk about the farm quite frequently on this show. Or I always find ways to bring it up. If you read my blog, The Change of Chronicles, I write. I have written a few big pieces about the pitching staffs in our minor league system. This is a good time to be a Cubs fan if you are as in-depth with the farm system as me and a few others are because this is a really, really good top 30. And there are many guys that are not on this top 30 who are very worthy of being a part of it. That's just how deep this farm system is getting. It's getting, it's having a lot of depth and it's very top-heavy with talent. It is both things that a farm system wants. I really hope we're a top five farm system when in the offseason when it comes to ranking Guaranteed a top eight, in my opinion, but top five, that'd be very, very sweet. It's good baseball talk for the week. Let's go football now, if we can. Yeah, let's do it. Football. Love football. Football's back, but this isn't good for us. Bears fans, Roquan Smith has requested a trade out of Chicago. This was as of last week. Now, personally, I don't think this is going to happen. He is just doing this as a negotiation tactic, and as he should, he deserves every penny that he wants, unless it's somewhat unreasonable, which I don't think it will be, because he is one of, if not the best linebacker in football. And Ryan Poles and the staff need to pony up, gather up the money, and pay him like the best linebacker that he is. These guys don't come around often. This is a guy you build a defense around, and we have so much money to spend both now and in next offseason. This is the this is the centerpiece of a defense and of an overall organization that you want to push all your chips in the middle for financially. Roquan Smith is that guy. I have a feeling a deal is going to get taken care of. There hasn't been rumors of him going anywhere. He's been traveling with the team to places the Bears have not fined him for skipping out on things, which shows that they're in, they're hopefully trying to talk things out. Ryan Pohl says he's determined to get a deal done, which, man, I'm really hoping that's the case. Because like I said, Roquan Smith, this isn't a guy, ooh, we can get so much for him. No, this is a guy you, you pay up. And you build around. Straight up. So I'm really hoping by the next time we're on this show, something has been done or progress is being made at the very least. In Tampa, Tom Brady is going on a two-week leave of absence. They haven't given the description as to why he's doing so. But it seemed like when camp broke out in August that they that the Bucks knew this was coming. Should be ready to go for week one. No big deal. But for now, it is Kyle Trask working the first team reps over in Tampa. Trey Lance making headlines. I was, I, oh, let's talk quarterbacks. Yeah, let's talk. I mean, just from what I watched on the highlight tapes, Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence look very, very good in their first week of preseason football. So that gives optimism for Jags and Niners fans, as well as some fantasy football owners out there. 
And then a second-year quarterback that didn't have the best of luck, Zach Wilson, knee injury. He had to undergo surgery. It was deemed a success, and he had a slight meniscus tear and a bone bruise. It was a non-contact injury on Friday. I don't know if he's going to be able to go week one. He may have to wait till week two or week three. Prayers up for Zach Wilson, but we're very happy as football fans that he avoided the dreaded ACL injury. That could have been a whole lot worse. Obviously not a Jets fan, but I'm a fan of young quarterbacks, and you want to see them at least give themselves a shot to succeed in this league. And obviously uh, tearing an ACL in the second year is, is not not what you want to see. We know Joe Burrow tore his ACL in the first year with the Bengals, and everyone, even rival fans of the Bengals, were sad to see that because they know how special. And, I mean, Joe Burrow took them to the Super Bowl last year. You knew Everyone knew how special Joe Burrow was bound to be, and an injury that tough that early in your career obviously is not something to be super happy about and we'll talk other young quarterbacks Jordan Love struggled in his first preseason game for the Packers throwing three interceptions man Packers fans I mean obviously he's a diehard Bears fan let me tell you good luck when Aaron leaves I've been saying this for so long now Jordan Love is not the answer maybe it's the slight Bears bias in me but he's not man let's be honest he's not the answer in Green Bay and he's not valuable either. It's not, oh, we can move him for, we can move him and something else, try to get into the first round. No, he's not even close to being worth that. This was a failed pick by Green Bay. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. It was a failed pick. I don't know what, maybe, maybe you need to just, when Aaron retires, just get him out there for a full season and the Packers are going to win like four games. That defense, I hate to say it, that defense is very, very good. And the only reason why they're going to be successful with no receivers is because their quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. Their number one receiver is Alan Lazard. They have Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb. I think that Christian Watson kid out of North Dakota is going to be pretty good. I hate to say it. Then I'm seeing Amari Rodgers from Clemson. A guy named Romeo Dobbs. I really hope that doesn't make me look stupid down the road when Amari Rodgers or Romeo Dobbs goes off. But, like, dude, that's not what you need but for Aaron Rodgers it's okay he can work with Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb and Christian Watson he's even I mean he did come out and say though that with the younger receiving core they're going through their hiccups right now but I'm not worried I, I <laughs> he's gonna work it out it's Aaron Rodgers man he's gonna win games in the regular season I mean the playoffs that's not a very playoff proven offense I'm gonna be quite honest with you it's not but he's going to find a way he always does Gonna clobber the Bears twice this year. I mean, the Bears, it's different. They're gonna be, we're gonna be awful. This is gonna be one of the worst, one of the worst, if not the worst Bears season I've ever watched in my entire life. They went three and thirteen back in like 2015 or something. That team was brutal. Jordan Howard was like the only guy in the offense worth watching. I think this team might be worse, and it might be worse with even with more notable names. At least you have Justin Fields, David Montgomery, Darnell Mooney on the offense, and if he signs the deal, Roquan Smith. Uh, Jalen Johnson, Robert Quinn are on that defense. But it's the depth. They have no depth. I like what I'm seeing out of Jaquan Brisker in camp. He looks very, very good. I'm very impressed with him. But it's like, I don't see anything else that is worth throwing attention to. Kyler Gordon, man, I, I like him, but he's getting burned in camp. That's not a good sign. So, we'll talk uh, Bears preseason Game from Saturday in a minute. Derwin James picked up a four-year, $76.4 million extension. Good for him. Go get your bags, sir. He's good, man. He's an insanely good safety. Deserves every bit of that contract. Let's go Chiefs-Bears now. Now we'll go into the box score. Um, Patrick Mahomes only did one drive. He was 6-7, 60 yards and a touchdown. Obviously tore up our defense per expected. Um, Justin Fields, 4-7, 48 yards. No touchdowns, no picks. I'm all right with that. As long as he doesn't throw an interception, I'm cool with it. He did get sacked twice, which I don't like to see. Get used to that. This offensive line is going to be brutal this season. Trevor Simeon, 7 of 13, 89 yards and two touchdowns. Love to see that. I like Trevor Simeon as the backup quarterback for this team. He fits the mold. He's a Northwestern guy. Was a fan when we brought him in on a multi-year deal, so it proves that there's a plan in place to keep this guy around. I'm a fan. I like what we're doing in that respect. Rushing, uh, Treston Ebner. The draft pick out of Baylor this past year, four carries for 31 yards. I'm a fan, man. I like Ebner a lot. He's obviously going to handle some special team stuff, but I think he's going to be the number three running back in his offense. I think he's going to beat out Darrington Evans. 
and he can do a lot of things out of the backfield. Uh, leading receiver, Tajay. I mean, everyone kind of was all over the place. Tajay Sharp had two grabs for 44 yards. Mooney had a 26-yard grab. Very good ball by Justin. Very good play on the ball by Darnell. Uh, receiving touchdowns include Daz Newsom, who I'm really hoping gets an opportunity in this offense this year. I was a huge fan of him at North Carolina, and he never really got a shot under Nagy last year. So I'm hoping he gets an opportunity. Abner had a receiving touchdown, which I'm talking about. The dude can do a lot out of the backfield. I'm going to also shout out a rookie uh a rookie signing, an undrafted rookie signing, who has been amazing on defense, led the team in tackles on Saturday with seven. Jack Sanborn might be a name in this league. The Bears may have found themselves a guy in Jack Sanborn. He's from the Burbs, went to Wisconsin-Madison. I was surprised when he didn't get drafted and was super pumped when the Bears signed him. Obviously not a Wisconsin fan, but as a Big Ten football fan, Jack Sanborn is a name. Like, he, is a well-known, he was a well-known guy at Wisconsin, and he made plays. And I was super pumped when the Bears signed him. And he is doing everything in camp. He's looked very good in camp. He played very well in this preseason game. I'm really hoping he plays well tomorrow against Seattle. That'll also be a big thing if he can put together a couple good games in a row. But Jack Sanborn, I he should make the roster. If he doesn't make the roster, I'm going to be infuriated. I think he deserves a roster spot. You know, Obviously, he'll be a backup in that linebacking room. But he deserves a chance, no doubt in my mind. So Bears are tomorrow against Seattle. It'll be interesting to see who plays. I hope Justin gets a few drives, but I don't want him out there too long. And I'm going to be looking at receivers. Uh, Bayless Jones, I'm going to be looking out for him. Daz Newsome again. Tajay Sharp, I'm looking for him. All these guys who are, okay, who's going to make this roster? Who's going to join Darnell? I mean, obviously, Bayless is going to make the roster as a third-round pick, but I actually want to see him in action. You know, who's going to join Darnell? Who's going to join Bayless Jones? Byron Pringle, Equiminius St. Brown. Who's going to join those four? Dajay Sharp. I mean, last year we had Rodney Adams in camp who was incredible until for some reason we let him go to the practice squad and we signed a guy. I don't even remember who it was and he didn't end up doing anything for this team. So all that aside, it'll be interesting to see who can catch uh, footballs, hoping to see Cole Komet. Looking at the backup tight ends, I know we have Ryan Griffin and uh, uh, James O'Shaughnessy. I was trying to see that. I want to see Trevor Simeon more. Travis Ebner, it's another guy who I'm a huge fan of. I want to see him do a lot. This is a time for guys like that to be on center stage and, and truly show off. So, Bears are back at it again tomorrow. I'll be also fantasy drafting during that. Had my dynasty draft on Sunday. 20 rounds, 12 people. Shout out all my league mates. That was a whole lot of fun. It was a long time, three and a half hours. Probably the longest fantasy draft I've ever done in my life. But it was a whole lot of fun. I guess I could break down my roster that I have for that. It was a great time to everyone in the league. Shout out Beaverfest. That's the name of our league. It was a good time. Uh, I was able to get, I had the sixth pick in the first round. So I started with Cooper Cup. Then second round. If you all, if you guys don't know what a dynasty league is, you keep your guys year round. You don't, you don't redraft. And a lot of quarterbacks were flying off the board in the first and early second round. So I got Joe Burrow in round two. Then in rounds three and four, I went Javante Williams from Denver and Cam Akers from the Rams. Some people had strategies in this draft. Some people went win now by taking a bunch of veteran proven players. Some people, there were a few people who literally took 90% rookies to try and look for the long term. I tried to balance. I tried to find guys who could do both. Obviously, Cooper Cup's a little on the older side. He's more of the win now. Joe Burrow is the win now, and he's a third-year quarterback. Uh, Javante Williams, second-year running back. Cam Akers, despite the Achilles injury, he's still young. Uh, my other wide receivers, I got Deontay Johnson and Mike Williams, who are kind of in the middle there. Dallas Goddard's my tight end. Marquise Brown, I have in one of my flexes, was a huge. I was happy I was able to pick him up. He's back with Kyler Murray this year, and that was the reason why I went after him. Him and Kyler were incredible together at Oklahoma. He's still young; he's 25. The potential's there. And then I started going on my rookie receivers. I got two of them. I took Jalen Tolbert from the Cowboys and Sky Moore from the Chiefs. I liked Chris Olave. I wanted him, but he went too early for myself. And I like George Pickens a lot. George Pickens, another rookie who's been making huge names at camp. I really hope the Bears don't regret not taking him. I wanted him at 38. I would have taken him over Kyler. I like the Jaquan Brisker pick, man. I'm a huge fan of that. So I got those two as my rookie wide receivers. Jameis Winston's my number two quarterback. And bench running backs, I grabbed rookie James Cook from Buffalo, who give him some time. I think he'll end up taking over that backfield. I also got Khalil Herbert, who I think is an RB2 in this league. is very, very strong. And then Jamal Williams from the Lions. Bench receivers, I have four. I've, obviously, I talked about Sky Moore. 
Uh, Brian Edwards from Atlanta. These were just filler picks in the last rounds. Uh, James Prochet from Baltimore was my very last pick. He's the wide receiver three on that team, so there's potential there. And then I took Odell Beckham in one of the few final few rounds because I mean, if we're just picking for a ceiling at that point, Odell can still do it. He's just not on a team right now. And then my two backup tight ends are Tyler Higby and David Njoku. And I did draft a third quarterback. I drafted my favorite rookie in this class. It's a pretty, it's a not common favorite. Like a lot of people like their Kenny Pickett's, Malik Willis. I'm a Matt Corral guy through and through. I loved him at Ole Miss. I get these kind of clogged right now in that battle of Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. But I still took him. Obviously, this is for the long term. I don't think he's going to play it all this year. And he doesn't need to. I don't need him to play this year. I need to, This is basically me being, hey, if Matt Corral's being a guy in this league, fantastic. I have another great quarterback on my team with Joe Burrow who I could put in my super flex. That's what I was picking on. So, super exciting. Um, I only got four rookies. But we're hoping, you know, we're banking on potential. We're hoping they can do well. So I'm very looking forward to fantasy this year. I have another draft tomorrow and another draft in a few weeks. I'm a big fantasy football guy. I'm super into it. It's probably my favorite part of the football season. So fantasy is here. Everyone get excited. We'll be back to fantasy studs and duds once season starts back up. To the NBA, uh, Bill Russell obviously passed away. Rest in peace, Bill. And his number six is being retired league-wide. So the rule is if you're currently wearing number six, you can still have it. You're grandfathered in. But once you switch teams, you are no longer allowed to wear number six again. So guys like LeBron James and Alex Caruso can still wear it. But if LeBron ever leaves the Lakers, he has to switch out. And if Caruso ever leaves the Bulls, same thing. I agree with this. Uh, Bill was a pioneer, blazed the trail, won 11 titles. One of the best basketball players of all time. I, I understand why they're doing this. It makes a whole lot of sense. Kevin Durant back in the news again. Just when we thought there was no NBA action, he is back. And he tells Nets ownership, it is me or Sean Marks and Steve Nash. You either keep me and fire the coach and GM, or you keep them and, and get rid of me. I still think Kevin Durant's going to go somewhere. It's just really hard to move a guy like that with that much control on a contract. going to be honest. It's just super difficult. I just don't know. There's not many teams that can do it. I know he really wants to go to Boston. But Boston's not going to want to get rid of certain guys. That's just how it is. So I, I think he might be a net this year and just choose not to play. I really don't know what's going on with Kevin Durant. Nobody knows. And also Donovan Mitchell, his the trade talks with New York and Utah have reopened. So I definitely think you, you, Mitchell's going to be a Nick. It's just a matter of when, not if. And that's really all there is for NBA. It's August. There's not much to talk about. The season's a very long ways away still. Spartan talk. Told you this was going to happen if they landed Cohen Carr and Tom Izzo does it again. Lands the four-star forward in the 2023 class. And the Spartans are Big Ten champions next season. Really, congratulations to my Spartans. No, nah, I mean, in all seriousness, man, this is an absolute incredible job by Tom Izzo. Obviously landing Jeremy Fears way back when. And then... In the past month, he's landed five-star big man, Xavier Booker, uh, Garrick Norman, four-star wing, and then he's landed Cohen Carr here. This is a team, man. This is it. This is going to be the group. This is going to be the best Michigan State group in a very, very long time. I'm super excited for it. And they're going to be surrounded by guys like senior guard A.J. Hogard. Uh, the, the two freshmen right now are going to be sophomores, guard Trey Holloman and big man Jackson Kohler. Those are going to be great complementary pieces to these guys. I'm a fan. I'm super pumped. I This is the next season. It's going to be incredible. I'm already looking forward to it. And it's We haven't even done this season yet. We're not even close. But there's going to be a lot of buzz in East Lansing for that group. And I'm very much looking forward to it. So shout out Tom Izzo. I was giving him a lot of slack way back when in the, in the calendar year saying, I don't know what he's doing. Why is he doing this? Why is he not being active in the, the transfer portal and the recruiting? It's because he had himself a plan for 2023, and I get it now. And this team is still going to be somewhat competitive this year. The Big Ten's somewhat wide open. A lot of somewhat's being thrown around. But it is still wide open, and I still think things can happen. But next year, it's us in Ohio State who have also recruited a very, very good 2023 class, including a guy Michigan State was trying to bring in, Devin Royal. It is going to be Ohio State and Michigan State battling for the crown in, in next season. Not this year, but next year, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Lastly, college football. Let's look at the AP polls preseason top 25. 25 to 20, we got BYU at 25, Houston at 24, 
Cincinnati is all the way down at 23. Wake Forest at 22. Ole Miss at 21. Kentucky at 20. I agree with Cincinnati at 23, despite the fact that they were the number four team in the country in the AP poll last year, making the college football playoff. They lost everyone on that team. They lost Sauce Gardner. They lost Kobe Bryant. They lost Desmond Ritter, and they lost Jerome Ford. They lost everyone. I still think out of courtesy, they deserve to be a top 25 team, but you can even make the argument they shouldn't be in there because it's a whole new group this year for Luke Fickle. But they're projected to go 13-1. to I don't think they'll make the playoff, obviously. It's just not that same group again. Ole Miss is in there at 21. Jackson Dart, I'm assuming, is the starter for them at quarterback. And then Mark Stoops' Kentucky group ranks in there at 20. 19 through 15 includes Arkansas, Wisconsin, Pittsburgh, Miami, Michigan State. Spartans are in at 15. Super jazzed up about it. I definitely think they could be put a little higher, but it's early on, you know. Just got to take care of business before Big Ten play, including the big non-conference game on the road in Washington. That'll be a big one if they can take that one. I definitely think it'll start putting them on some notice before uh, Big Ten schedule starts up. I'm all right with 15. Should it be higher? Totally. I think they should be a top 10 team, but I won't knock it too much. Uh, Wisconsin's down at 18. There's another Big Ten school there. 14 through 10, Southern Cal at 14, NC State at 13, Oklahoma State 12, Oregon 11, Baylor 10. Don't disagree here either way. I'm a little mad that Southern Cal's ahead of Michigan State, I will say, but they're playing off the bias and, you know, Lincoln Riley bringing in guys like Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Travis Dye, Mario Williams. I get it. It makes sense. So now we're in the top 10, nine through five, Oklahoma at nine. Brett Venables is that program's not going to skip a beat with him there. I'm confident in that Michigan's at eight, Utah at seven, A&M at six, Notre Dame at five. Once again, I don't have much disagreement with any of this list. It's kind of things got to play themselves out in the first few weeks before we see before any true colors are identified. And then the top four teams in the country currently would be the quote college football playoff teams: number four Clemson, number three Georgia, number two Ohio State, number one Alabama. Top three, yes, don't touch them. Perfect. I'm a little eh on Clemson at four because they were not very Clemson-like last year. DJ Ugalele was not what he was, not what he's expected to be. Maybe, you know, the committee and the AP poll, they're turning a blind eye, and they're like, all right, it's a new year, clean slate, everyone gets a new chance, we deserve to rank Clemson as a top-five team. I think they should put Clemson as a top-ten team. I don't think they're a top-five team. Straight up, I, I don't think so. But, once again, writing will be on the wall once we're a few weeks in, a month or two into the season. This is obviously going to look completely different. So, it's very just interesting to see Clemson a little too high. They've been a little biased. I'm saying Michigan State's a little too low and Southern Cal at 14. Maybe. I don't know. But once again, I get, you know, new coach, basically a whole new offense and defense. It makes a whole lot of sense. So let's wrap it up here. We're going to talk. We have our top 10-ish. It's actually top 14. Going to Tropicana last Friday make, made it my 14th stadium I've been to in my lifetime. And I'm going to rank all 14. So you're going to ask, what 14 have you been to? Well, I'm going to tell you right now in my rankings. We'll start at the bottom. If you have, if you've listened to this entire show... I betcha you can, I can, you can put a million bucks on what I'm putting at 14. It's the Ring Central Coliseum in Oakland, California. Worst stadium in baseball. The area around it stinks. The workers, awful. Overall experience, not good. I went with a group of people on my study trip, and everyone else who was there, I obviously didn't want to leave. I like watching baseball, but they're like, this experience has been terrible. Even before first pitch, they wanted to leave. So... If that doesn't tell you how bad it was, I don't know what does. It is known as the worst stadium in baseball, and that's why, for me, it's at number 14. But I still want to go to it. I'm still happy I went there. There's obviously some history there. It's been around for a very long time, so was happy to have been there. At number 13, guaranteed right field. Is there a little bias in here? Absolutely. But it just doesn't do anything for me. It's a meh stadium. It does nothing for me. I've been there a few times. There's nothing there that makes it... Oh, it got to go there for the unique aesthetic of blank. Don't get me wrong. There's great food there, but I'm just talking overall. It doesn't move the needle for me. At number 12, American Family Field, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Brewers. Once again, I don't like the Brewers, and every time I've been to American Family Field, I've had to deal with something, whether it's been Brewer fans annoying me or having to wait an inning and a half for a pretzel. And overall, I just don't see 
the aesthetic, really. Once again, it's also the aesthetic. I just don't see it. So, American Family Field at 12. Number 11, Tropicana Field. And I know what you're saying. You just were talking up Tropicana so much. How come it's not in your top 10? I have a pretty good top 10. That's why. I've been to some very good stadiums. The Trop was cool, and it's better, well, way better than the three I've just listed off. So, let's put it that way. Number 10, Angel Stadium. It's overlooked, man. Does not get enough love. Really cool with the rocks out in the outfield. I actually got to sit in right field and watch the game, which is kind of a cool thing, too, with you know the super tall right field fence. I like it. I like the Angel Stadium a lot. It was it was really cool. Number nine, Target Field, Minnesota. Another overlooked stadium. Like the food there. I was a fan, man. It's got the cool, there's a lot to do on the outside, you know, with the Twins Hall of Fame. Yeah, I like Target Field, number nine. Number eight, Grand American Ballpark, Cincinnati. Awesome field. I, I had a good time there. I was, I was surrounded by really good people. That brings the experience together for me. Good food. And just the hospitality there was fantastic. And it's a really cool-looking ballpark at Great American. Number eight. Number seven, Bush Stadium, St. Louis. And what you're thinking, you're a Cubs fan. You should hate the Cardinals. I do hate the Cardinals. But when I went there, was surrounded by great people. Hospitality was outstanding. They were not mean to Cubs fans somehow, which I didn't understand how, to be honest. I would have expected otherwise. The arch in center field is such a cool look. I love the big Mac land in left field and pretty solid food down there overall. So it comes in firm at number seven. Number six, Coors Field, Colorado, home of the Rockies. Coors Field is such an awesome I know he's like, oh, it's such an awesome looking park for everything. Dude, it is such an awesome looking park. I'm serious. It is so beautiful. Just Colorado in general, such a beautiful state. It really is. But in general, very beautiful stadium. Once again, super nice people. In general, Colorado is just a very nice area with a lot of nice people. So they're at number six. Now to my top five. And I will say I've been to these five very, very recently. I think these are my five outside of the Trop and the Coliseum. These are my five most recent stadiums. At number five, Truist Park in Atlanta. I cannot say enough about how much I love Atlanta and Truist Park. Truist Field, whatever it is. The battery in Atlanta is awesome. There's so much to do. Shops, places to eat. If you're over 21, there looked like a lot of nightlife around there too. There's just so much to do surrounding the stadium. And the stadium itself is the chop house is so electric. There's a lot of energy in that environment. No matter how good or bad the Braves are, the Atlanta fans come bringing that energy and it was, I had a lot of fun. I went to two games down there when I was in Atlanta, and I had a great time as just a neutral fan with not playing the Cubs. I had an outstanding time with that. And the Braves weren't even good when I went. That was what was really cool. Number four, Dodger Stadium. The historic, the tradition. Can't beat it. That's why they're number four. Dodger Dogs are pretty good. It's another thing I have. And once again, that is another aesthetically pleasing stadium because you see it all the time on TV. And when you actually step foot in there, you're like, wow, I'm in Dodger Stadium right now. This does not feel real. So, number four, Dodger Stadium. I also got to get really, really close to the field. So, that kind of made the experience better for me. Number three, PNC Park, Pittsburgh. I don't know what you're probably thinking. There, this, ooh, PNC. The bridge on the skyline in the background of center field. Once again, the aesthetic is fantastic. It was great food. I got a ball in batting practice, so obviously that improved my experience. And PNC in general is just a beautiful ballpark. Pittsburgh, if they don't, if Pittsburgh, you know, they don't have a lot of winning there, but they do have a beautiful stadium. Number two, I actually went here very, very recently. I went here for two games, Petco Park in San Diego. Blew my mind away. I could not believe when I stepped foot in Petco. It was like Dodger Stadium. Wow, I cannot believe I'm in Petco Park right now. It is everything you th- ever think it would be and more. The food was outstanding. The surrounding area... Also, similar to the battery, not as not as much to do because obviously it's in the heart of San Diego, right in the middle of the city, which also made it very cool. It's like all of a sudden, oh, there's a baseball stadium just in the middle of the city, which is sick. But there's just so much to do in the outfield, like beyond the outfield wall, beautiful-looking stadium. San Diego in general is a beautiful city with great weather. Could not ask for anything more. I was an absolute, I, was, I fell in love with Petco Park the minute I stepped in there. And obviously, the number one stadium I've been to in my life is Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs. Obviously, it would never be anything different. Wrigley Field is like my home ballpark. It'll always be number one. Nothing will change that. It is the best place to watch a ball game. My favorite team plays there, so obviously that. 
takes the cake. Got the Ivy in center field, the classic stadium food, the bleachers. There's just so many different experiences you can have in one. And just Wrigley Field's the best. It's the best. So that's all I got to say. But this was a whole lot of fun. We talked about a lot of different things. We went over the last week for the Cubs. We went over standings. Uh, the Yankees' woes without Joey Gallo. Currently 2-11 and if you're keeping track. Uh, Tatis testing positive for performance-enhancing drugs. Walker Bueller's season-ending elbow surgery. The Rangers cleaning house. The Dodgers' first team to 80 wins. A couple prospects getting pulled up. And the new Cubs top 30. Talked football with Roquan Smith wanting out of Chicago. And we had a lot of second-year quarterback talk. Derwin James's extension. And the Bears' first season, first preseason game review. The NBA retiring Bill Russell's number 6. KD being in the news. Michigan State's 2023 class becoming nuclear. And the college football top 25. Thank you all for listening. This one was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy. Remember to subscribe. Give the show some love. Share it. Do what you got to do. And uh, I will see you all next time. Peace.